hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 8, verses 16 to 24. I thank God, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in honor to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we're sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and in honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. Morning. So we're in the middle of this three-week series on giving as we study through the book of 2 Corinthians, as we continue our study in this whole new covenant. How do we live out in this new covenant where God has placed his life in us? Last week, we saw that the overall attitude that God wants of us as his people living in this new covenant world is one of radical generosity. God gives us money to meet our basic needs. And then the extra is designed by God not for us to live out the American dream, get a little bigger house, a little newer car, a little nicer vacation, a little nicer things, but rather for the blessing of others. A friend who was, heard my sermon last week wrote a poem in response. I think it's worth reading. It's called Radical Generosity. It really reveals the heart that we are to have as we approach our finances. Gathering gold, our heart's desire. Hold back the treasure stored. Filling accounts to the very brim. Wealth in ledgers record. Bounty and baubles preciously held, no room for sacrifice, tight-fisted grip to ensure no loss, ignoring the costly price. Deceptive is the peace therein. From trove we dearly love, withered hearts the interest gained, no peace we find thereof. Elusive joy, a fleeting reward in treasures of decay, a powerful ploy to turn our hearts from him who shows the way. Unclench the grip of wealth so dear. Generosity will suffice in drawing us ever closer to him through radical sacrifice. I love that because it's a wonderful picture of how money really can cause us to wither in our hearts. It's seeks to master us, as Jesus said. 
You can't serve both God and money. But money is a harsh taskmaster and it will try to rule us. But God's called us to live instead a life of radical generosity. Will we let money rule us or will we let God rule us and live out this kind of life? But if we choose to do that, if we're really trying to live out a radical generosity, that means that we will be generous. And does that mean that we just throw our money everywhere? In any need we see, anyone who asks, we all get numerous requests, right? (laughs) TV ads, phone solicitations at dinner time. Don't you just love those? Internet, please snail mail, letters, etc., etc. And it raises the question, to whom should we give our money? If we are to be radically generous, where should our money go that God has given us? How does the, how, how, what does it mean to be both generous and wise in our giving? Well, I think our passage today gives us some good help in answering those questions and answering how we should give and who we should give to. Our passage will help us see what it means to be having integrity in how we handle money and how an organization handles donations so that we can understand what it means to be both generous and wise in our giving. Lord, we turn to you and we recognize today that every gift we have is given by you. All our money, all our possessions are really yours. We're just merely stewards of them. So, Lord, I pray that as we look together at this passage that we would gain insight into how you are calling us to be generous to whom we might give and even to how we might handle our money in a wise yet generous way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at this passage, see how Paul talks about handling money with integrity the donation he's getting, and then we'll draw some implications for how we are to handle our money as well. So first, let's look at Paul's integrity in handling funds. Let me give you a reminder. Paul, about a year before, had started a collection among the Gentile churches. The church in Jerusalem was having a difficult time. They were going through a famine. And, of course, the Jewish Christians there were under tremendous persecution. Most had had to leave, but the ones that were there were really, really struggling. It was a time of real difficulty. And so Paul was going to the Gentile churches and saying, Look, you benefited greatly from your Jewish roots, the Christian roots there in Jerusalem, and they should benefit from you now in their time of need. So he'd gone to Macedonia and Achaia and the different churches around and said, let's give generously. At the end of 1 Corinthians, chapter, beginning of chapter 16, Paul writes this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save, as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive... Whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. 
So Paul commissioned that gift some year before, but now in 2 Corinthians, he's saying, you know what? You guys haven't followed through. (laughs) So I'm sending some people to go to help you make sure you get this collection, that you can be people of your word. You committed to give. Now I encourage you to be men and women who follow through on this generous gift that you committed yourselves to give. And as the passage, as Cynthia read it, I hope you saw that Paul is very concerned that the handling of this donation be handled with tremendous integrity. We'll see that in a variety of ways, but you may have noticed that he says, I'm sending three men, three men to handle this donation, O Corinthians, so that you will know that this gift is being handled with integrity. And these are men of integrity. Just let's look briefly at them. The first one is Titus. He begins in verse 16 where he says, Thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he's gone to you of his own accord. We have sent him along with another brother. The first one is Titus. And Paul says, hey, I'm sending Titus because Titus is someone you can trust. He's somebody who loves you, cares about you, Corinthians. He's going in a willing way. And back down in verse 23, it says, As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. This was somebody the Corinthians knew. He had worked among them. He had served them. He was shown to be a man of God, a fellow worker with Paul and with God in the ministry. So Paul says, you can trust Titus in how he handles this gift. But he also sent two other men. Notice the second one in verse 18 and 19. We've sent along with Timothy the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. Not only this, he himself has been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself. And then down in verse 23... At the end, it says they are, these two other men besides Titus, messengers of the churches. The word there is really apostles, sent ones, and a glory to Christ. That's a literal translation. These men are a glory to Christ. So Paul says the first brother I'm sending with Titus is somebody famous. Now, I don't know why Paul didn't give his name. We don't know that. Commentators have wrestled with who this might be. Who is it that's famous among the early Christians? And probably the most common suggestion is it's Luke. But we don't really know. Paul, for some reason, chose to not give his name. But this was someone, Paul says, is someone who's known among all the churches for his work in the gospel. He's a faithful man serving God, sharing the gospel. And then it says, In verse 23, that he's a messenger and a glory to God. What kind of uh, amazing credential, I think. He says he's a glory to God. What does that mean? I think he's someone who reveals Jesus to people. As they hang with him, they know that he's someone that reveals Christ, who lives out his faith in a real and honest way with integrity. 
So Paul says, it's really important to you that you know who I'm sending. This guy, and then the third one, the third brother, is listed in verse 22, where he says, we've sent with them, those two men, Titus and the famous one, our brother, among whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. And then he also was a messenger of the churches, a glory to Christ. Paul had clearly said, who do you think I should send, churches? Who will you trust? And these two brothers were ones that they said, yeah, send them. We know they'll take good care of this gift because they live an honorable life to Christ. They live for the gospel. I'm struck as we think about these three men that Paul sent and the credentials that he gives that not in any one of the three did he say, oh yeah, and by the way, they're really good at handling money. They're really good businessmen. Interesting, because it seems like when we think of some situation in the church where someone needs to handle money, we think, oh, well, he does it all the time. He's a good businessman. We'll use him. But Paul says, no, what's most important is that they be people of integrity, godly character, good reputation, faithful in the ministry. And notice that he gives three men. He sends three men. Never one person is left in the situation, the tempting place of handling the money by themselves. I think that's very important as we think about donations. Is our money being used wisely or is there any opportunity for the funds to be misused? Why did Paul send three? Couldn't he trust Titus? Well, he tells us why in verse 20 and 21. Let me read that again. Taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable. NIV says what is right, but actually the word is kalos, good or beautiful. We have regard for what is beautiful, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Paul says, Yeah, I may be able to trust Titus, but I want to do what's right in God's sight, but also in the sight of men. Now, he's not saying we should be man-pleasers, that kind of thing, but he's saying it's very important that you can trust what we are doing with this money. So we are doing our best to do what is kalos. That's the Greek word, kalos. It's a word that means beautiful, good. As you look at it, you see... Tremendous beauty. It's pleasing to to the eye in a way that moves the heart. That's what that word kalos has behind it. It's the word for beauty in Greek. We have words that have this root in it. Calligraphy. Calligraphy is what? Beautiful writing. Kaleidoscope. Kaleidoscope. Beautiful sight. Beautiful scene. Our granddaughter, our son Jeremy and his wife Becca named their daughter, our granddaughter, Kalea. Directly from this word, kalos, because it means beautiful, beautiful inside and out. So they made up a name, Kalea, from this word kalos. I looked it up. The word California is not from this root. (laughs) I just thought you ought to know that. I don't know. 
California is a beautiful state, but uh, it's not from this root. The word really has the sense of no imperfections. As you look at it, there's a beauty about it. And Paul says, I want to make sure that when God looks at how we handle this money and when men look at how we handle this money, it's beautiful. (laughs) It's great. There's no question that it's being handled well. Yes, what God thinks is most important, but we need to be trustworthy before men and women as well. And God wants us to handle our money in a way, whether you're an organization or an individual, where others can say, wow, that's a beautiful thing. The way they're handling their money, there's something beautiful, and God is pleased by that. There's no imperfections. So this makes me think very practically about how we here at Cole Community Church handle your donations. I think it's important you know that we do our best to be kalos, trustworthy, beautiful, in the donations that you give. When you put money in the basket, several ushers take it. They take it back in a back room, and it's always a number of men together, and they sort it, and they lock it up. Then Monday morning, when our bookkeepers come in, we have two, we always have two who handle the money. They work together and they take turns, trade off every week in how they count the money and they count it, sort it together, watching each other, and then they deposit it in the bank. We keep very careful records of our money. We're very transparent about the use of your donations. We want to make sure it's kalos. We want to make sure there's integrity. And we're doing it in a way where there's no chance for temptation. No question of integrity. So we're very transparent about how those funds are used. We keep good financial records. We have an accountant, a CPA, independently check our monthly statements to look for any problems, any errors. We keep careful records. In addition, we try to handle those monies in the best way we can for what they're intended for. This building, Colt Community Church, that's so well used, was paid off completely nearly 25 years ago. We do have maintenance on it, but we minimize that because we want your money to go directly into supporting the pastors and the programs that you benefit from spiritually. That is our goal. We believe that's what God's called us to as servants of the donations that you give and of servants of the Lord and of you. And therefore, we do our best to be kalos in how we handle our money. Our financials are always available to you. You can always see them. Nothing's hidden. If you have any questions about how we handle finances, see Steve Evans, our administrative pastor. We want to do our best to keep your trust. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's doing his best to show himself trustworthy in the handling of this gift. And he does give another guideline besides being kalos. In verse Chapter 9, verse 5, he gives another one. Let me read 1 through 5 because I want to, again, give the context here as he's continuing to help the Corinthians with the handling of this gift. 
For it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. For I know your readiness, to which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia, Corinth was part of Achaia, has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I've sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come to me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now those last two words are really significant. He said, that here's what I wanted to make sure. That's why I'm sending the brothers ahead of time is I wanted to make sure that this gift is handled in a way that it is a blessing, that's the literal word, a blessing, not an opportunity for greed. A blessing, not an opportunity for greed. In other words, Paul says, I want to make sure in the handling of this gift that there is absolutely no opportunity for anyone to misuse it for selfish gain. I want to make sure that the use of this gift is for a blessing and that everybody knows it. That's a marvelous guideline, I think, as you consider giving and to whom you give and even how you handle your own money. Do you see it as an opportunity to be used for a blessing or is it an opportunity for selfish gain? Now, using Paul as an example here and with the guidance of the Old Testament, I want to get real practical here and say... What do we learn from all this about whom we should give our money to? Who should we donate to? Where should our money be going from a biblical perspective? Because we have so many options out there, right? To whom should we give? Well, let's look first at the Old Testament. Now, we are New Covenant, New Testament believers, so we're not under the Old Testament law. We don't have to follow the strict guidelines of the Old Testament. But I do think the Old Testament gives us some really important guidance as to where our money should go. If you look closely at the tithes that were commanded in the law for Israel, there were three tithes that are mentioned. Three tithes. First one was the tithe that was to be given every year, one-tenth of everything they had, everything they earned that year, animals, etc., what they grew, was to be given to the temple for the Levites and the priests, the support of those who provided spiritual benefit to the people of Israel. That was a tenth of their income. A second tithe is mentioned in the Old Testament, which, very interestingly, as you read about it in Deuteronomy, it says that they were to bring this tithe, one-tenth, and they were to bring it to the temple... And they were to have a big feast and eat it there among all their friends and then give the rest to the Levites and the temple and the people there. And then there's a third tithe mentioned. And it says that tithe was to be given every third year. It was to be probably stored up or maybe just for the third year. It's a little unclear what the text is talking about. But it was for the poor the orphans, the widows, the needy among them. 
Now, there's some question among scholars, gee, did these overlap some, or were they three separate tithes? So did, there's some question about, well, did the people of Israel have to give 30% of their income to these things, or 23% perhaps, but it's very clearly a lot more than just 10%. <laughs> okay? Interesting. Well, to me, as I've thought about this, this has become a good guideline for me as I think about giving, and I want to encourage you to think about it as well, that these are three areas that God calls us to have a heart for and be generous in. Number one, we should, I believe, give to the support of the local church body that we receive spiritual support from, that benefits us spiritually. God calls us to support those who are blessing us, helping us grow, equipping us so that they can carry out their ministry and be free to give their lives to the ministry. That's number one. Paul talks about that in the New Testament as well. He says, don't muzzle the ox while it is threshing. He, he goes on to say that he's really talking about teachers of the word, that you should set them free, you should bless them so that they can receive from that and be free to study and teach the Word. So that's number one. Number two area that I believe that God calls us as New Testament believers to give to is the second tithe, and it's a little hard to define, so here's the way I apply it. I think God wants us to use part of our resources for hospitality, for blessing others, and for giving to other Christian ministries, Christian missions, our field staff, missionaries, etc., and to other Christian ministries that God lays on our hearts. And then third, we should make sure that we are also giving to the poor and needy, to widows, orphans, those struggling in society financially and in our body, both in our body and outside our body. I think it's important for our own spiritual health to be aware of these, all three of these areas and to be seeking to live a balanced life and to give in all three areas. This is a challenge from an interview of Craig Blomberg, who is a professor at Denver Seminary. He wrote a book called Age of Wealth, A Biblical Theology of Stewardship. And in the interview, he says this, over the past 40 years, self-identified evangelicals have given between 2 and 3% of their incomes to churches and Christian organizations. That's the statistic that keeps coming up over and over. Those who say, yeah, I'm a believer in Christ, I believe in the Word, I believe the Bible, etc., etc., you have to be born again. You know, self-identified evangelicals, he said, when they do surveys... Over the last 40 years, the average given to the church and Christian ministries is 2 to 3%. Seems pretty low, doesn't it? Stewardship, he says, is a crucial part of the Christian life, and according to these figures, it's sadly lacking. He goes on to say the scary statistic is that 20% of self-identified evangelical churchgoers give nothing. 20%. It's reasonable to question their faith, he says. Strong words. If idolatry is what a person who claims belief in God actually gives allegiance to, 
Does anything have greater idolatrous potential than material possessions? He says it's a dangerous place and those statistics should challenge us to say, hmm, where am I? Where am I giving? Paul's example in this encourages us to make sure that we give to those who have integrity. Organizations that have integrity in how they handle donations. So there's two things that I especially look for when I think about giving to an organization. Number one, do they have clear and transparent integrity in how they handle donations? And there are some accrediting bodies that help you find that out. The Better Business Bureau has strict guidelines and to be a member and you have to handle your money with integrity. That's one example. The Christian organizations, if they belong to the ECFA, you can look for the seal if it's a Christian organization, ECFA, the Evangelical Council on Financial Accountability. They have very strict guidelines and to follow that means that they have to have transparency in their finances and be taking donations and using them with integrity. So that's the first thing I look for. Is there integrity in how they're handling it? Openness, is it clear? They're not hiding anything. There's no question. It's kalos in how they're handling donations. But the second thing I look for is, does the money I give go to where I'm giving it? That's a whole other thing. There's a lot of organizations that they use most of the money for fundraising and for overhead, and it actually doesn't go to the things you want it to. Now, this may seem obvious, right? But I don't know if you've done any research. <laughs> a lot of organizations really, really misuse your funds, and they don't go to what they should go to. This last June, the Tampa Bay Times did an expose of the best and the worst charities to donate to. Here's the bottom ten. I'm, I'm not going to give all ten, but I'll give you five. The Kids Wish Network. Sick children get less than three cents of every dollar raised. Ninety-seven cents goes to fundraising costs and overhead. The Cancer Fund of America. Sounds worthwhile, right? Last year they had 98 million in donations. Less than one million went to help cancer. Just over 1%, or about 1%. The American Breast Cancer Foundation. Wow, that should be good. They paid their professional fundraisers close to 75 cents of every dollar given. And then you have overhead on top of that. So very little went to breast cancer research. Firefighters Charitable Foundation. Wow, you want to support firefighters, right? <laughs> it pays its for-profit solicitors 90 cents of every dollar raised. 90 cents of every dollar goes just to the fundraisers. And then you have overhead on top of that. The International Union of Police Associations. $57 million in the last decade, but only $28,000 a year was spent on survivor benefits. That's, I think, 3 or 4%. And we could go on and on. And 
you'll notice that a lot of the organizations that misuse your funds the most have cancer, police, firefighters in the name because those things appeal to our hearts. But I believe God wants us to be wise in to whom we give. Now, it's sad that the worst ones have cancer and police in the name because some of the best on the list have, are for cancer and for police. So you have to do your research. And it's pretty easy to find out whether it's a legitimate organization to give to. What are some of the best? Well, you need to look for yourself, but let me just suggest that on the list, some of the worst are Christian organizations, a few. But a lot of the very best ones are Christian organizations. And we support, for example, Gideons here. They'll be coming next, next month. Um, when you give to Gideons, virtually 100% of what you give goes to purchase Bibles and their distribution. World Vision, 83% goes directly to programs. That's pretty good percentage when you think about the cost of fundraising and all. 83% of World Vision's goes directly to their programs. Young Life is one of the top on the list because of the way they use their funds as they should. Boise Rescue Mission, you can go on their website. 80% of their funds go directly to programs. Again, that's a pretty good percentage. It's a way to give to benefit the poor in our area. So I, I just throw these out because I want you to be wise and see that your funds can easily bis, be misused. And I think Paul's example is showing us that we should make sure that we give to legitimate organizations that are using our funds properly. Be wise to whom you give. Check them out. Do your homework. God wants you to live with a radical generosity. But integrity matters. Integrity matters. Well, in conclusion, here's the question. How do we handle our money? What, what can we learn from this passage about how you and I handle our money? Well, let me throw out some things here, some questions to ask yourself. Do I handle my money with integrity, with accountability and openness with my spouse? Do you in your marriage hide money because you're afraid somehow? Or are you open? Do you share openly about how you use your funds? No hiding of funds. Are you radically generous in your giving? Are you learning to give to these, especially these three areas? Do I deal with all I have in a kalos way? In a beautiful way that truly seeks to please God with what I have. God, this is yours. Everything I have is yours. And I want the way I use it to be beautiful to you and trustworthy to others, beautiful to others as well. So there's no question that I'm using my funds for the kingdom. And verse 5 of chapter 9, do I truly use God's money in my care to bless others? Do I see it as an opportunity for blessing or am I using it for selfish purposes, for greed? 
for selfish gain. That's a tough one. It's hard to figure that out sometimes, isn't it? But I really encourage us to wrestle with that. And then are you and I living out God's amazing grace to us and having His grace be our motivation for giving? He has poured out His grace on us. I long to pour that out on others in generosity. I want to close by reading Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and following, because I think it's a beautiful picture of what was happening in the early church. How God, when He gets a hold of people's hearts, and especially when He gets hold of people's pocketbooks, this is the way they live. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 44. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. I love that picture of hospitality. Breaking bread from house to house. Using what you have to share and to bless others and encourage each other spiritually. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. That's call us. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Beautiful picture of a community of Christ that was learning to live with a radical generosity. And many were coming to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, what a beautiful picture here of integrity. And Lord, it's sobering to think how often our funds could be misused. So I pray for us here that we would be people that are growing in radical generosity, but also in wisdom. Seeking to die to our own selfish desires and using what we have to be a blessing to others. Lord, help us be people of radical generosity. We pray in the name of Jesus, who has given us life, given us everything. May we be people who respond by being gracious ourselves. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.